Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. What are we? Some kind of middle seats podcast? The best seat of the house for all things movies and entertainment. Welcome to the show. I'm the Amanda Waller of this operation, Andrew Ojay. Let's meet the rest of the squad, and he's very much squad goals, Mr. Nate Longarini. <laughs> Howdy, do everybody? Good to be with you all. The joke is too obvious on a day when we're doing a movie called Suicide Squad, so I'll just introduce him, Mr. Jake Hensler. Hey, <laughs> appreciate the kindness. <laughs> it was too easy. We'll take it where we can get it. Sometimes you got to show mercy. Yeah, we'll take it yeah. where we can get it. Welcome to the show. The Middle Seats Podcast is divided into three segments if you're just joining us for the first time. Our first segment is called Lobby Talk, where one member of the crew pitches a topic that's on their mind, and we talk about it like we're in the lobby of a movie theater. With masks on again, probably. But... Anyway, Nate's going to introduce that in a few minutes. Then we'll have our news segment. We're going to talk about three items. We're going to end with a big trailer. It'll be really fun. You guys will be there. You'll see it. And then we'll have a feature review this week, as I've been talking about. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is going to be the main topic of our musing today. Gentlemen, how are we? It's been a busy summer for everybody. No shit. I'll say. (laughs) This is how it always goes. It's like we get on a rhythm and then everybody gets busy. But we've actually been good about keeping a rhythm and keeping our 10 to 15 viewers satisfied with the content. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Jake has one job. Hit record and talk into the microphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two jobs. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right. L- let's just get oh, into boy. it. Multitasking is hard. Let's go into our lobby talk segment. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? Alrighty, so we'll we'll just hop right into it here. We got the Suicide Squad, and I would hope that it's obvious from the title that there are going to be deaths throughout the movie. That's just par for the course. So that just gets the brain juices flowing. What are some of your favorite shocking movie deaths? I want to specifically go for like the big like whoa moments whether they're funny whether they're just surprising they come out of nowhere whatever is jumping out to you that's what i want to talk about tonight you know what i just thought of what if you guys decide to go about one that i've never seen before and i totally get spoiled you know (laughs) (laughs) you know what you'll it's a it's an occupational hazard (laughs) well yeah yeah. (laughs) you're on the movie podcast jake you've expected to see a couple of these I, I will. I will say the movies I have listed, you have seen all all of them. So yeah, I, I, I feel like I yeah, know you guys anything, well enough. You but... guys have prob- you probably will spoil me. I think you guys have the the bigger catalog between the three of us. But for all our viewers out there, these are some fun moments. Spoiler alert if you want it. <laughs> um, I'm I'm gonna go with one that I know that the two of you like a lot. It's the other guys, specifically the best part of the movie with Samuel L. Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson up at the top of the building saying, whoa, these guys are pros. You thinking what I'm thinking? Aim for the bushes? 
and then the best <laughs> song choice of all time. I was going to say, there you, you, goes my hero. You took Foo Fighters yeah. away from the Foo Fighters guy <laughs> on the yeah. bottom. Oh yeah, cute, cute Dave Grohl. <laughs> that, that splat at the end where the music just cuts Boom. and you go to the bagpipes playing at the funeral scene the next moment. I, uh, I didn't laugh so hard throughout that movie throughout the entire thing i guess will ferrell isn't my shtick but that scene had me howling <laughs> that was the first one that came to mind when you pitched this for me yeah, <laughs> first it's one. all it, it's also on my short list yeah it's just iconic and you get two a-listers who like you said are absolute bad boy pros messing everybody up and like the first time I watched it, I was confused. I was like, I don't understand what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even laughing. I was confused. <laughs> that scene is a masterclass in direction. You kind of hinted at it, Nate, where the ca- like a, a weaker director than Adam McKay would have cut the camera and not made you watch them fall <laughs> all the way to the concrete. <laughs> but you see the whole thing. Oh, oh it's my a God. classic. I've, I've laughed twice now just thinking about it. It, it, is, a, it is a shocking moment. I think I like the movie really better great. than you. I think it's a very, very funny movie. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I know you guys like it better than me, but yeah, yeah, I think we all can agree on that that scene in particular. And I can't listen to that song without thinking of it. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's that's, real, real that's another rarity in movies is to have something completely change <laughs> um, your interpretation of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big Foo Fighters fan, but... Yeah, that that song definitely goes hand in hand with that scene. Now, <laughs> do, do they do they ever play at a concert? Do you ever like take the lighter up and <laughs> hold it up? Oh, oh yeah, that, that's one of their that's one of their big songs. But yeah, I would love to like get front row seats and like make a board out of it somehow and see if Dave Grohl picks it up. <laughs> do you think he knows? He's got to he know must. that they use it. But like how? It's been like eleven years now, he must. You know. <laughs> right. True. Jake, I'm willing to cede my turn if you want to go next. All right. Um, so of, of the ones that I was, I was thinking, I did have a few in mind. It's kind of a toss up, but I think the one that shocked me the most when I saw it was the ending of The Departed. Mm, that's a good so, one. So, yeah, obviously spoilers if you haven't seen Departed, but the last like 20 minutes, basically all of our main characters die. Like back to back to back. It's like a, it's like a bam, three minutes later, bam, five minutes later, bam, four minutes later, bam. And like everybody's just dead one by one and i love that movie that movie is one of my absolute favorites but the first the very first time i was like what i'm not surprised one or even two of them but like like five six mm-hmm. uh, what <laughs> like all yeah, of them except much, mark Wahlberg. <laughs> pretty much everyone except mark Wahlberg and alec baldwin yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the leo one that got me that was yeah that the, was probably the biggest the one. one because it's Literally, as soon as the elevator doors open, yeah. it's gunshot and over. And Leo literally just said that he was going to kill the guy in the elevator with him. Um, who was that? Was that Matt Damon's character? Yeah. 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 And those words are coming out of his mouth when he gets shot by some complete rando. <laughs> and like, what? <laughs> Anthony Anderson yeah. for Kangaroo Jack a couple of years prior. All right. No, no, you're done. No more necessary with Jake. I was Jack willingly. I, I was about to ignore it, but. <laughs> um, nope, you're man. back onto the Suicide Squad list, Jake. <laughs> well, again, we're talking masterclass in direction, basically. Uh, same thing. Like, there's no frills to the DiCaprio execution. It just happens, and it's done. Mm-hmm. And, oh, then, yeah. and yep. it's not like he gets a last word out um, right. where he's like breathing the bullet hole still there. No, he's 
He's gone. And he's, he's, he's gone. laying like in the middle of the of the elevator entryway, like yeah, yeah. The door's not closing, right? Yeah, just and Anthony Anderson coming down nothing. and getting shot is like not predictable, but given the sequence of events, that was never. But then, he, but then James Badge Dale's character is like, "We got to stick together." There were two of us on the inside, and Matt Damon's like, "Yeah, no, bro." Yeah, <laughs> he just him down. He's and, like, "Hand me that gun." <laughs> and right before that was Martin Sheen and Jack Nicholson. Like, just everybody just eats it in the last like forty minutes. But really, that last. That last span where they they go from like DiCaprio to Anderson to Damon was just like what the hell. <laughs> the the Martin Sheen one is gross. It's the a way, br- like, that's a brutal Le- one. The way Leo's walking and you just see the body fall in front of him and like the blood splat up a little bit. And a sad yeah. one. He's a great character. Yeah, he's like the only mm. decent person in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so f- fitting that he goes first, I guess. Yeah. All right. Ready for mine? Let's hear. It. Uh, maybe a spoiler for Nate. Definitely not a spoiler for Jake. So a big part of the shock and appeal, and I think you can find this in both the examples already told right now, is how the movie is marketed and reflected. Which characters have a big presence in the marketing, which characters don't. Obviously, if it's a character that's in the marketing a lot, you think they're going to stick around a lot. Like Samuel Jackson and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I remember being in like half the trailer for the other guys, and probably for good reason. That's probably what they were trying to do. Uh, obviously, Leonardo DiCaprio's in the trailer for The Departed a lot. Millie Shapiro is an actress that is not as well known as Leonardo DiCaprio or Dwayne Johnson or Samuel Jackson, but she is all over the trailers for her interesting, unique demeanor. If we're talking about Ari Aster's Hereditary, great choice. <laughs> She's all over the trailers. You think the movie's going to be about like a possessed kid, only to find out thirty-five minutes in that. The last thing you're going to see of her in the entire movie is her decapitated head rotting on the ground a day after she got taken out by a light pole as she was trying trying to gasp for air from a peanut allergy. Clunk. One of the most shocking moments in a uh-huh. movie I've ever seen because I assumed – first of all, she was giving an outstanding performance in the first yep. half hour of that horror movie. Second of all, I assumed she was going to be around for the entire run. And third of all, when they don't show her head initially and you just see – uh, Alex Wolf's character go up to bed in stunned silence and just hear Tony Collette screaming in the morning. Like wailing. Wailing. Like you think you're not going to see it. And then, and this is what I'm talking about, like with movies showing just the right amount. A lot of horror movies like to show their hand early and just blood and gore up the place. Hereditary is not that gory for most of it, but it picks and chooses its spots. And that is the spot that has scarred me for three years now. Wildly effective when it chooses to go there. I mean, yeah, that was, that was another one. So this topic just got darker and darker. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, we, I'm glad we started yeah. with the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Cause that, <laughs> this would have been a hard pivot. <laughs> that's definitely one of the more, I'm a little, I'm a little tight that I didn't think of this one. Yeah. That's definitely up there. Cause same, same thing, but on the opposite side of the spectrum, the other guys, when it happened, I was, I almost took myself out of the movie because I was like, what? Somebody's going to mm-hmm. wake up. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's just, that's what happened. And the movie keeps going. <laughs> and the funny thing about shock is I kind of laughed both times because I couldn't believe what I was seeing, but in different tones. It was like yeah. a laugh of actual humor, laugh and horrifying if we're talking about both the other guys and we're talking about Hereditary. Nate, I forget, yeah. have you, you've seen Hereditary, right? We kind I have of not like peer- yet, but I, I have known about this scene. I think it just popped up on YouTube kind Oof. of thing, and I'm like, I'm not going to see this in full right away because I'm too terrified. Yeah. <laughs> but it, 
it actually doesn't ruin the movie for you to know that. Mm. It's a big part of the setup, but the rest of the movie is just as outstanding. The, the thing that did kind of pique my interest, though, a little bit there, Drew, is that you said that, and I've seen the posters too, but like the child actors all over the marketing for this movie. Mm. And like, this is probably its own lobby talk in the future, but there's definitely a kind of societal shift in terms of how much should a trailer give away for your movie. Mm-hmm. We complain about it a lot for blockbusters. We might even complain about it a lot in Suicide Squad, which had like four trailers leading up to its release. But this is an example where marketing actually helps sell the shock of the death because you're expecting something that ultimately isn't really a part of the movie. Yeah, and it's got to be part of the impact of marketing it that way. Like, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. No, I agree completely. Yeah, that was a rough one. But uh, excellent, excellent pick. That's definitely one of the top ones, too, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Give it another year and lights on and somebody holding my hand, and I might actually get around <laughs> to watching this thing. <laughs> it's, it's, more, it's more disturbing and, like, ruins your mood than it is anything else. The movie, like, you're just going to feel like shit afterward. <laughs> yeah, it legitimately uns, and I've said this, like, for three years now on this podcast. I use the same line over and over. But it was it's one of the only one of those to legitimately unsettle me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. horror movies can't really do that anymore. I understand how they're made and how it works, and I can give into it a little bit, but not <laughs> fully. A, but that, that was adults. one that that was one that was came from, like, a deep, dark place inside of Ari Aster, and you could feel it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to hear your guys' other picks because I didn't think of The Departed one, and it doesn't sound like Jake had Hereditary on his shortlist, but those are ones that we both heard and we're both like, kind of like, oh, of course. You know, one of my other shortlist ones was uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. First time I saw that, I was. It's also the timeline. The timeline makes Pulp Fiction that much more interesting. But it's like in the middle of the movie, he's just shot dead on the on coming out of the bathroom by Bruce Willis. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I, it's so effective. Yeah, I obviously adore that movie, and I, I love that character in that movie. So when he eats it like randomly halfway through, my first watch was like. Same thing. I'm like, I, do I not understand this movie? Like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Is that before or after we get, like, the whole solo arc with him and the and the boss's wife? It's I, mostly after. Yeah, I think it's, it's yeah. mostly mm-hmm. after, but, like, there's bits and pieces So it's pieces like watching it. his whole life play before his eyes and then yeah, and kinda. it's gone. But then, but then he comes mm-hmm. back for the for the for shot Marvin in the face afterward, I believe. I was going to say, that, that yeah. all of that <laughs> stuff is after. Yeah. With that and Harvey Keitel and stuff. So there's yeah. still a big chunk of the movie he's still in. The Tarantino likes to do that a lot of the premature death. Like I, I think mm-hmm. it's I think it is kind of shocking that Leo dies in Django and there's still like forty five minutes left in the movie. Uh-huh. Well maybe that might be a bit of an exaggeration, oh. but Leo and Christoph Waltz, both of them eat, eating it in the same scene. That was that was honestly my last one. Funny enough that you brought up. Oh, Django. I'm sorry. I I, I didn't no, no, think it was going to be, so I made the transition. But it wasn't. It wasn't that scene. It's. <laughs> this is just more for shock value than anything. But there's that moment, like during the final shootout, where oh, Django I, takes a shotgun to one of the farmers' wives. Or I know whatever, what you're talking. I, yeah. And she just like exits yep. <laughs> stage left with like a plier yeah. or something, and she's yep. just gone. Boom. And like the shot doesn't line up, and it's very intentionally campy. It's a, but it, that like, one makes me so happy because it's, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so out over the top, and it's just exactly yeah, it's, what it's we a, needed. It's Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner right there. Just <laughs> <laughs> he turns to the he turns to the slave, 
And he's like, tell Miss Hilly goodbye. And yep. she's like, goodbye. <laughs> he just shoots. <laughs> she goes flying. Yeah, down. literally, Nate, like somebody yanked her with a lasso. Like, zoop, out of oh, here. 100%, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. I also think of Tropic Thunder. Still, when Steve yeah. Coogan eats it randomly. Oh, yeah. I have that on my short list as well. Yeah, that's a great one. Great one, great one. And I think that we've been desensitized to this, so we don't consider it a shocking death anymore. But the fact that the Dark Knight kills Maggie Gyllenhaal is pretty ballsy for a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the context of 2008, especially. Mm, yeah. And so, like, the way they do it, too, where it's, like, mid-sentence and stuff like that. Like, you're, we're so used to superhero movies. Like, he gets he gets this impossible choice from the Joker, and you would think he'd be able to save both people. But mm-hmm. no. The, yeah, the like, Joker Spider-Man makes... can do it. We saw that in 2002, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right, where, where he, he saved the Mary Jane and the trolley of kids, right, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. And... The Joker just completely switches it up on him. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, great moment in a great movie. All right, let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So we're a prediction pod here on the Middle Seeds podcast. We talk about all the big news and we talk about how we think people are going to react to it. And I think we called this one out a little while ago. Disney Plus has their own little streaming service plan that they're doing right now for these new releases. They're kind of stopping it for Shang-Chi, but they have a plan for movies like Jungle Cruise and Black Widow and Cruella, where if you don't want to go to see the theater, that's fine. You can pay for it for $30 at home. And a lot of people actually have been taking them up on that option. Black Widow made like $60 million or something ridiculous opening weekend, according to them totally not lying well i mean it could be who knows (laughs) that is separate from the box office gross is what we're learning and we kind of talked about this a lot earlier uh, more in the context i think of hbo max if i remember correctly which is just putting the movies up for free um but a lot of the stars of these big movies tie themselves to the box office gross they bet on themselves you know what i mean they say i'll take a pay cut on the front end so the budget can be bigger but i want part of the back end and, you know, they negotiate a percentage deal. Like, so, for mm-hmm. example, let's say, let's use Black Widow's example because that's going to be the big catalyst. Say the movie makes $200 million, and that's all in theaters. Scarlett Johansson takes 10% of that. Math pod, Jake, what does it go? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be teaching these kids multiplication, Jake. Get I, on this. I plan a lesson first. I'm pretty sure that's 20, that's 20 million, right? That's 20 million? Yes. Yeah, I believe <laughs> that's, it's 20. That's 20 million, right? I tried to yeah. keep it really, yes. really, really simple. <laughs> but I also didn't mean to – no, I did mean to catch you off guard. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, anyway, so Black Widow now will ostensibly make less money because it will be making part of its grosses on Disney+, and Disney's just going to pocket that cash, that cash and give it straight to the mouse so that he can go spend it in Cabo or whatever. Um, and <laughs> – Scarlett doesn't like that. Uh, the big news that's been going over the last couple of weeks is that Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney because they are not sharing any of the Disney Plus profits. Disney, as they, as they I'm sure, are always uh, willing to do, are, are certainly not going to drag their star in the media. You know, j- just kidding. Uh, they are making it sound like Scarlett Johansson is being very selfish. They are accusing her of taking profits during this tough time of the pandemic and uh, the mouse needs to feed his family, guys. The mouse needs to feed his family. <laughs> so sag after is behind Scarlet. Now the question is, what are other stars going to do? And this is a long setup, but we're just going to – I'm just going to say it right now. Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt are not going to sue. 
They've made that clear. They both have pretty good relationships with Disney, as is. Scarlett Johansson's on her way out, so she can burn the bridge if she really needed to. Probably not wise, but whatever. I think the public yeah, will be that on Disney her side. Disney kind of controls everything. Right, but I think the public will be on her side, at least. I mean, but Emily Blunt, she was Mary Poppins. You never know when she's going to come back. Dwayne Johnson, it's only a matter of time before he's in a Marvel movie, so you don't want to mm-hmm. burn too many bridges yet. And then we learned that Emma Stone, in recent days for Cruella, was she's not going to sue because they're doing a Cruella 2, uh, and obviously she has her project she wants to do with Disney, but she is getting a eight-figure, are we good, check. So she's getting like $20 million <laughs> oh, from Disney so nice. she doesn't sue. Yeah, eight <laughs> figures. I It took me a second to comprehend what is that number because everybody says six <laughs> figures, and then I, you think about eight, and I like I gasped. I was like, she got eight figures just not to sue? I would love mm-hmm. eight figures not to sue Disney. But I'd love five. I don't have Emma Stone's eyes. <laughs> Five figures. I'll, I'll take I, hell. I'll, yeah, I'll take three. I'll take three. <laughs> yeah, I think nine hundred dollars. Like, yeah. You know what? I'll take a discount on Disney Plus subscription. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Just give me free vouchers for the for the cotton candy stand at Disney World. There we go. <laughs> keep lowering the bar. Oh, lordy. All right, oh, but lordy, indeed. <laughs> but Jake, what do you think of all this? I mean, we've been kind of prognosticating this for a while now. Uh, my college coach, Coach Pete, has one of my favorite quotes of all time. And it's actually relevant. It was about Disney's uh, Star Wars in 2015. When it was coming out, I had asked our college coach, me and Nate, if he was excited that it was coming out. And his quote to me, which I will never forget, was, if I gave any less of a shit, I'd be dead. <laughs> um, still today, one of my favorite quotes. And that's kind of how I feel. It's a billion-dollar corporation that somebody worth nine figures is trying to get more money from. I don't care. doesn't affect me. They're all going to turn out fine in the end. You know what I mean? Like, so like the point is, is ScarJo owed her money? Should she get it? Sure. Do either of these people need or are they worried about losing money? No, they're all fine. So like, I don't know. They're all going to do what they're going to do. They're all going to want more money. Nobody wants to lose all the money that they have and everybody wants to get more money than they already have. So that's pretty much how I see it. If ScarJo deserves that money, great. Does she need it? Definitely not. So it's whatever. It's a good, it's a good point. I really right. wasn't going to take that tact, but it's true. Even even That's, if I'm going to make ScarJo sound like the good guy here, who really gives a f- like she? I'm sure she's worth nine like, figures, and Disney's worth more mm-hmm. than that. So they're all going to argue over all the money that they have while sitting at say, their billion dollar homes. Whatever. Her husband just secured a deal to make the new Ninja Turtles movie. Conjo, I'm I'm so recording this in a, in a closet with my shirt off because it's hot. I don't right, care this, how much money they're making. This is the difference between a this is the difference between a ten million dollar chandelier and a fifteen million dollar chandelier. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I they're they're all gonna be fine, and I'm happy for them. Anyway, yeah. Nate, you're more into the box office implications part of this, I think. He'll have a better take yeah. than me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I'm slightly more on the rooting for ScarJo side of this thing, just for precedent's sake, because Disney, yes, as a company very well known for their very critically successful films. And we've praised a lot of their films on this podcast. But Disney as a company, theaters do not not like Disney because they have really nasty clauses in their contracts of like how many theaters have to be dedicated to their Star Wars or you don't get to show the movie at all, which is sometimes really painful for smaller theaters. Part of ScarJo's uh, lawsuit comes from the fact that Disney's lawyers just flat out refused to contact her despite her trying to reach out 
once Disney Plus releases were announced, you know? So it's one thing to, like, try to find a loophole in the contract, but there was just no communication whatsoever, allegedly from from her lawyers here. Uh, So all that combined... I'm very okay with the mouse having to having to eat some cash here in order to follow up on money that is owed. And hopefully this at least sets precedent for maybe smaller figures like production staff that don't make eight figures on a apology check to actually get some money cuz Hollywood stars aren't the only people that are affected by box office revenues. There's other people further down the line that also are implicated by this Disney Plus or HBO Max releases. Warner yeah. Brothers had to deal with this and had to pay out directors the same way that Disney is now doing it with apology caches, but they at least did it on the front. It's kind of scummy, at least from my perception of things on the outside, that Disney assumed they could just walk away from the situation without needing to deal with ScarJo or anybody else on the Disney side of things. Yeah. HBO and Warner Brothers at least knew up front that their simultaneous releases was going to cause problems. Yeah, and I mean, they're, they're so cocky about it, releasing the numbers, too, and be like, yeah, we made this. You're not getting any, but we made this, you know? Like, if you're <laughs> going to do it, don't release the information, then. <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like has Borat. Black Widow been the only one that they've shown the numbers for? I'm. I think that's. I don't true. remember seeing. I don't remember seeing Jungle Cruise, but I might have just missed it because they probably were trying to justify that it did un quote unquote underwhelm. I mean, obviously everybody gets kind of a mulligan with the pandemic a little bit, but mm-hmm. it made the lower end of expectations at the actual box office. So they wanted to prove that it wasn't a bomb. But who are they proving that to? Like, who cares? Like everybody I knows mean, Disney makes more money than anybody else. Right. We don't yeah. need proof. <laughs> Nate, you kind of touched on this a little bit. I co-sign everything you said, and I kind of editorialized the intro, so I won't be long on this. But I have one other point to add, which is that there's the implicit ripple effect that comes from a big budget movie doing well and making a lot of money. Like, even if people aren't directly tied to the grosses of a movie, the fact that a movie makes a certain amount at the box office is a number that needs to be quantified in a correct way. So the whole idea that, like, people might be getting different jobs based on if a movie was a bomb or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about supporting actors here. We're talking about editors, cinematographers, screenplay writers. Like, that all matters. And they can't be fudging the numbers like this. And if they are fudging the numbers like this, people need to be fairly compensated. Mm-hmm. I am way on board and more interested when it comes to people who actually need that money. Yeah. Like, if, they're, if they really are making $60 million on Black Widow just from Disney Plus alone, yeah, give more people a cut. You guys are doing fine. Like, that, that cinematographer who's, you know, starting to scratch six figures, give him a bump. You know? Like, give all those people a bump. Screenwriters are notoriously underpaid. They're writing your stories. And think Help of all out. the sponsorships for up-and-coming podcasts that could use that cash discount. <laughs> yeah. I will turn we right around all of your and movies. praise you. <laughs> we review all of your movies. Yeah, and if you, and if you guys Usually want to positively. donate to a little... If you want to donate to a lowly podcast, our Venmo link is in the description below. <laughs> uh, just one dollar a day can <laughs> can buy a razor for, the for, arms for a Nate. Yeah. An <laughs> just black and white, Jack, black and white Ken Burns effect vid- photos of <laughs> Nate doing a Rubik's cube, but he's got like cut off shorts Tears in his eyes. Yeah, and just heating up mozzarella sticks again, but it's just a smile on his face. Jake, don't tell the mouse to give him a bump when he's at Cabo. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that, that guy, he parties hard. I believe it. Anyway, this is still not as egregious as Disney Plus 
just taking Luca and Soul, putting it on for free and not paying anybody, but a whole separate topic that we've talked about many times. This is going to be a quick one. Let's just go through this quickly. Uh, this was just a shocking number to me. We were talking about how, what, eight figures is huge. Let's talk about nine figures and a deal that Trey Parker and Matt Stone got for basically being great at their jobs. Uh, South Park premiered in the late 90s. Uh, it had a movie come out. It's still going strong today. It's on, it's got to be high, like, teens of seasons, if not at 20 yet. Um, but I, I watch every episode st- still. I still laugh at them. Still? Of course, they created, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's still great. It still is fantastic. It's not as consistent as it was, but it still gets the job done. It's not like Family Guy where it's kind of falling off a cliff. Anyway, they had Book of Mormon as well. They had Team America World Police. They've done other things. Um, but Viacom CBS is very committed to having them hooked to the South Park franchise for the foreseeable future. So through 2027, they will be with Comedy Central working. Uh, that'll bring the total number of seasons to 30. So backwards math, we are in the 20s then. Mm-hmm, 23. $900 million. Uh, not only will they continue to do the show, they are going to create, and this is another shocking number to me, 14 original South Park movies exclusively for Paramount+. Plus. 14. Now, <laughs> what does this mean? Is this feature length? Is this just a little bit longer of an episode? Who knows? 14 different properties through 2027. Nate, do you still watch South Park? Do you enjoy South Park? I actively watched the first five seasons when they were available on, like, for free on Comedy Central's website way back when. And then I, like, kind of pick and choose from later seasons as they're on. I don't think I've ever seen the show live. I saw the pandemic special um, a couple months back. I enjoy it. It's never, like, gotten to, like, the Futurama level for me where, like, I actively love every single episode. But there are definitely moments that I that I enjoyed. I like the movie um, decently enough. Um, so do I want 14 of them? <laughs> um this just reminds me of, like, the DCEU saying, oh, yeah, we're totally going to announce 50 million movies before even our first Justice League comes out. And trust me, they're all going to be great. You can make contracts, like, a year or two out till 2027. Yeah. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> This is this is this is a lot. This is this is too much. I'm very happy for Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I don't know if you're worth a billion dollars in advance, bro. <laughs> this is <laughs> in insane. Advance. They do deserve the bag for as hard, how hard they work. Jake, I don't know if you know the mm-hmm. process of how the show is made, but like they have nothing. Oh yeah, that's actually oh, crazy. They have they have nothing done a week before because the show is so tied to current events. They legitimately have nothing done. And they finish the show sometimes 2 hours before it's supposed to be airing. It's, they've never missed a deadline. The only time they missed a deadline was a joke about the government shutdown. They did it on purpose to kind of poke <laughs> fun at the fact that the government shut down. Um, uh, simpler times. <laughs> yeah, who would have thought that those were simpler Jake, times? <laughs> yeah. What's your relationship to South Park? I've only seen a few episodes here and there. It's just never something I really picked up. Um, I've obviously seen Team America World Police. Here's our, here's our Matt Damon times two for the episode. But no, I don't have much relationship with South Park. I have a... I have more of a relationship with Family Guy, and even then, like, I never fell in love with those shows. I've seen episodes here and there. Right, here, here's my thing. I think Trey Parker and Matt Stone deserve the money. Like I said, they work incredibly hard, but they also oh, should yeah. feel free to break that contract and, like, not actually make 14 movies, because I think, 
I think they risk just stretching out the brand to Simpsons-esque levels. We're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Like, South Park has found a way to be fresh because of the way it ties itself to the hip to current events. Is the satire sharp anymore? No. But it's not... It's still good for three or four laughs an episode, you know? So, uh, please, I I give you permission to break the contract a little and only do, like, eight movies, you know? Because you you risk just stretching the brand out to the point where it's irrelevant, like The Simpsons are now, unfortunately. How sad is it that The Simpsons are still in the air, man? That show was so funny. We lost Arthur this month, too, man. Yeah. But it was time. <laughs> uh, R.I.P. to my boy, Arthur. Okay. That'll do it for the South Park talk. I don't think we had a lot to say about that. I think it's just $900 million is a staggering figure that we need to talk about. Um, yeah, I'll happily – anybody listening, I'll happily write you 14 movies for $900 million. I'll do it tonight. <laughs> oh, my God. We are, we are thirsty for funds tonight. Jesus. Yeah, I wonder poor? why. <laughs> we'll have jobs. <laughs> I, whatever Let, let's do some trailer talk let's talk about a movie that's been delayed a lot uh by the pandemic uh, shocking i know that's something we never talk about here um let's talk about specifically the newest entry in the ghostbusters franchise ghostbusters afterlife what are you doing here in somerville anyway we're completely broke and our grandfather left us this creepy old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere you're saying he left us nothing well i wouldn't say nothing what is happening here? Somehow, the town with no fault lines is shaking on a daily basis. Egon came out here for a reason. Are you troubled by strange noises in the middle of the night? You experience feelings of dread in your basement or attic? Have you or any of your family ever seen a spook, specter, or ghost? Ghostbusters, we're ready to believe you. Ghostbusters Afterlife is directed by Jason Reitman. He, of course, takes over for his father, Ivan Reitman, who directed at least the original film, I believe the second one as well, which that's a pretty cool connection. It is the fourth movie in the Ghostbusters franchise, but technically in canon, it's the third. Like the 2016 Melissa McCarthy one and Kristen Wiig one doesn't count. It's more of a remake slash like alternate universe one. (laughs) Before a lot of terrible people on the internet start talking about it, let's move on from that movie. Um... (laughs) All of the original cast are returning in some capacity. We know Bill Murray's in it. We know Dan Aykroyd's in it. We know Ernie Hudson's in it. I believe there are rumors that Sigourney Weaver is in it as well. Oh, fun. I believe she was listed on IMDb when I looked it up. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sure I'm sure she's in it in some capacity. They all were also in the 2016 – I know I just said we're not going to go back to that one, but they also were in that <laughs> one as well. They're just playing like different characters. I believe they're playing the characters that they should be. But the main crux of the plot is – after being evicted from their home, a single mother, played by Carrie Coon, and her two children, played by McKenna Grace and Finn Wolfhard, of course, of Stranger Things, they move to a Somerville, Oklahoma farmhouse. They find this shed at the farmhouse. Of course, this is the house of Egon, who, of course, was played by Harold Ramis in the original film. He is, of course, passed on, so he's not in this film. It's a good way to honor his legacy uh, by having kind of his grandkids take up the mantle, I guess. So that's kind of the point. Mm-hmm. It's the next generation of Ghostbusters. We don't really know much beyond that. We know Paul Rudd's in the movie. We know Tracy Letts is in the movie. We don't know what they're doing. Paul Rudd appears to be some kind of high school teacher that kind of teams up with the kids. He seems to know a lot about what happened in the 80s with the Ghostbusters. And that's one thing this trailer makes clear. There's a direct tie to those time periods. But, like, what's the vibe we're getting from this? Because I still don't really know what to think of this. Jake, what do you think? I thought it looked pretty fun, but I'm not 
totally getting my hopes up high just because we know how these things go sometimes. But I think I think it looks pretty fun. You know, reboot slash sequel, you know, action, sci-fi, comedy, thriller, whatever they feel like it's going to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all of the above, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't think it looks bad. Nothing in the trailer made me go, eh. But not, nothing really made me go, whatever excitement sounds like. Um, <laughs> 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 Woohoo! Um, no, nothing really like that either. It's just like, I don't know. I watched it. I nodded my head. Paul Rudd made me chuckle because, you know, he just always will. He could just appear on the screen and I'll smirk. Um, but, yeah, I didn't get a whole lot of vibes either way from this. But I also wasn't attached to Ghostbusters as a kid. Like, I've obviously seen it, but I wasn't, like, a Ghostbusters kid. You know what I mean? So. It's way earlier than our time, so that's understandable. Interesting. Well, I feel like Nate is, Nate is going to fight that. I think Nate and I have the same sentiment, and I'll tee him up for this. Isn't Ghostbusters supposed to be a comedy franchise? <laughs> You'd be darn tootin' right. Um, yeah, like, I actually just rewatched this this weekend up at the infamous cabin up in Massachusetts on the, the small-ass TV. <laughs> I want to go. Still on VHS. It still works. Although, our, we did... <laughs> I don't know if it was ghosts or just technology getting old, but the screen was flickering the entire time. So back I, and I forth. actually was, I actually was there. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> Jake was just putting his uh, hand in front of the projector mm-hmm. and moving it slowly. Yeah, I, sure. I entered yeah. the state and it was like, uh, uh, uh. Mm-hmm. yeah, the first Ghostbusters, I think is just one of those, one of those classic eighties uh, comedies movies. It's not entirely perfect, but it is darn close. Um, and just a lot of nostalgia for me. They obviously tried to tap into that na- nostalgia before with the 2016 one, and it didn't go so well for them. Yeah, people were yelling and hollering. Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it tried to do the comedy route, and it was torn apart, but probably more for the gender of the protagonists and awful people on the internet, as Drew yeah. was alluding to, unless the actual quality of the movie, although the movie, from my understanding, was not very good. It's It's... It's not terrible, but it's no worse than Ghost. It's no worse than Ghostbusters Two. It's just mediocre. Mm-hmm. So, at least like they're doing a different direction for this one, where they're tapping into like the the long lost legacy factor. Like it's got the the soft piano rendition of the Ghostbusters theme in there. What the same thing that they've done with lots of reboots in the last five ten years now. I just hope that this movie doesn't go like the Independence Day route where the sequel is long overdue, nobody cares anymore, and then the movie ends up being trash. Yeah. I'm hoping this isn't the case here, but the tone is very, very different from the 80s comedy that we all know and love. Do you think this is going to be a box office hit? Because that brings up a good question to me. Like, do we really need this? I mean, we don't really need a lot of movies, but, like, are people (laughs) asking for this? No. I don't think so. No. Yeah, I can see this bombing. I, yeah, I I almost wonder. It's Stranger Things vibes, though, ain't it? Like kids trying to tap into tap into something otherworldly. There's adult figures trying to trying to help and solve the mystery <laughs> with them. Well, that kid Finn Wolfhard is just going to be attached to Stranger Things esque stuff, I think, for a while. Oh right, this literally has Finn Wolfhard in it. I totally yeah. forgot for a second there. Yeah, he's going to be attached <laughs> to these things for a while. He did an now. okay job trying to divorce himself from that with it, but yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, I think don't think no it was divorced. I, I thought it was a, a scarier Stranger Things. 
Yeah, okay, good point. Yeah, <laughs> they're riding bikes around the town trying to defeat a monster. I mean, no, you're, it's not you're, that you're absolutely you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. So we're talking about what audiences this is for. Is this for the older audience that like remembers the old Ghostbusters? Well, I don't even I, think I don't, so anymore. I think, I think you got to start showing Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd in the marketing then, if you want them to come in. Even though that would probably spoil surprises, but like. If my dad loved Ghostbusters, I don't think he's going to go see it for Carrie Coon, you know, and, and or Paul even Rudd. Paul Rudd, yeah. even Paul Rudd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is it for kids? Well, you bring up a good point there. What surrounds it? You've got Encanto a couple weeks later, Eternals the week before, which just by the nature of it being Marvel will attract more eyes. I'm sure there are others I'm forgetting. So I don't know if moving it right into this busy season is a good idea. Or alternatively... There are horror, apparently there's horror elements in this movie. Why not release it in the October? October That's is so much say. more open. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think October would fare much better than November. Yeah, I think the movie looks fine. I I think it looks competent. Jason Reitman gets gets props from me. He's made some good movies. He's made Juno, made Up in the Air, which is a great movie. He made Tully, some really good stuff in his filmography. Uh, he's never made anything this big, but he's got the legacy thing around it too, which I think is kind of special. This is prototypical wooden seat incoming. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'd be surprised if it goes higher or lower. I'll be pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. if it does, but that's kind of yeah. what I'm expecting. Like, from this it. also could do the Dr. Sleep thing, where, at least for me, it might not have been a box office success. I think it was actually pretty much a flop, um, Dr. Sleep was, at least. Yeah, it didn't do very well. But I really liked that movie because of just the themes that it had throughout. And if this one tries to do something like handing off generations like maybe not us specifically because ghostbusters was before our time but like people that watch that as teenagers now have kids and now they're going to be sharing this movie with their kids it might work it might not but just because it's not a box office success doesn't mean that there's not potential for a good movie here Mm -hmm. we'll just have to wait and see yeah i mean i'm rooting for it i will almost always root for a movie because that means we can get a pretty good movie (laughs) So like I'm, I'm <laughs> into that. Right? Yeah. I, I'm like if it's good, great. But I don't know. Doesn't really seem like it's offering a whole lot, except for you know another name for people to go. Oh, we're getting another one of those again. Yeah. Right. Well, at least they got Paul Rudd, and he's a American yeah. treasure. I think that might be the biggest <laughs> thing that this movie's got going on. Paul Rudd and Stranger Things kid, who everybody knows by. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I do think that is a nice asset to have. Obviously, Paul Rudd is always a nice asset to have. That'll do it for news. Let's move into our review of The Suicide Squad. Are you in or out? Good. Let's meet your team. Each member is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. Hey, guys. Sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? Oh, my God. Is it a werewolf? Okay, he's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know... Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm a superhero! The Suicide Squad is written and directed by James Gunn. It is a pseudo-sequel, pseudo-reboot to the 2016 David Ayer version, uh, which sucks ass, and we'll talk about that more uh, 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 in a little uh, the, bit. Uh, the Ayer cut is coming. Let's calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started. Uh, 
I got myself started. Yeah, all right. Let's. I, I really don't want to talk about the 2016 one that much because I like my life, but it, it, it feels inevitable to compare it to because this is a complete restart. This is the 10th movie in the DCEU's franchise, and I think what's going to be part of the broader discussion here is just how their approach has changed. They've kind of gotten away from the trying to copy Marvel and are just kind of doing whatever now. Like, all of their movies feel like one-offs at this point. And The Uh Suicide Squad, while it may have a direct sequel to itself, does not need to be tied down to anything else going on in the universe, except for Suicide Squad 1 and Birds of Prey, because, of course, the big carryovers, Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. Margot and Idris Elba, who plays Bloodsport, um, are the two big actors. And then you've got a smattering of... People you'll recognize, like obviously John Cena is another big one. Joel Kinnaman is back as Rick Flagg. Uh, Dan- Daniela Melchior has a big role. Alice Braga. David Desmalchian. I should have learned how to say that. Sylvester Stallone <laughs> does the voice of King Shark. Viola Davis, Michael Rooker. Jai Courtney is back. That's your boy. Yeah. yeah. He actually is pretty. He actually is. I have come around to actually liking him as Captain Boomerang. Not loving him, but liking him as Captain Boomerang. So I was like, oh, he's back. Okay. The, the plot is very, very simple by default. Uh, the Suicide Squad, they have a mission on this uh, made-up island called Corto Maltese, where there's been this military coup. Uh, they are going in to basically destroy some government secrets slash government experiments that could take over the world if left untended. I will not spoil what those secrets are because you wouldn't believe me if I told you. You haven't seen this movie. Um, I mean trailers, but... <laughs> yes, yes. And I think we've talked about it before, possibly, as well. Um, but that's but, all right. We'll save it. We're, we're, we're all believers in a spoiler-free world. So. There's a way to talk about the movie without going into that, I think. Uh-huh. Um, I think we were all willing to put money down that this was going to be better than David Ayer's version. But how much better and how much of James Gunn's style carries over to the DC universe compared to what he's done with Guardians of the Galaxy, which, while it is very off-skewer and it's very weird and bizarre and quirky comedy, it still has that Marvel roots to it. So... This feels like James Gunn very much unhinged, unleashed. What do we think of that? Does it work in this context? Nate, let's start with you. Yeah. I am the quote-unquote low man of all things DC. I've just lost faith in most of their projects at this point. This is definitely a breath of fresh air. Thank God. (laughs) This is actually a good movie. Um, I had a good time with this. This movie is a lot of fun. I remember talking about it, but I just wasn't prepared for how hard of an R this was, especially in the first the first 10 minutes, let alone the rest of the movie, because it does not let up. (laughs) Not Um, even a little. Yeah. So unless you want to be like the jerks who brought babies to my theater, don't bring the little kids to this one. It's not going to be a good time for them. My goodness. Um, (laughs) Kids these days. But yeah, this this was a lot of fun. All the characters a lot of fun. Um, and Drew, you brought up James Gunn and his very unique sense of style and sense of humor. It's all over the place in this movie, and I think it totally works for the tone of the movie they're going for. I think my only big complaint of this movie, at least pre-spoiler talk, I, and I brought this up in lobby talk as well, we had a lot of trailers for this movie. I don't know if Warner Brothers was nervous. I don't know if like they just really wanted to separate between the red band trailers and the green band trailers. But there are a lot of the movie's funniest moments that are given away in the trailers, more so than other movies. I'm not anti-trailer. Jake might fit more into that, that slot than me. But I wish I had seen 
two less trailers than I did going into this movie because I think I would have laughed even harder not knowing what to expect. Um, but in terms of the movie itself, it's fun, it's unique, and it's got a lot of zany characters and cool action. You'll have fun with it. Jake, I know you're a big fan of both Guardians movies. Um, mm-hmm. So what do you think of this? Uh, yeah, I was I was very curious. Um, getting James Gunn for a Suicide Squad movie was probably the best project to get him for. So good for you, uh, Warner Brothers slash DC. That was a good get. And I'd say good on you for letting him have a, what seemed like pretty much creative control. Yeah. Um, uh, can I just make a note on that? They yeah. they had him after Marvel fired him for like two weeks or whatever. Right. <laughs> they, they, they had a meeting with him and they asked him, what do you want to do? And he said the Suicide Squad. And he, they were like, yeah, man, whatever. So sure, please. <laughs> the, the, right, the creative control thing is right. It's just he picked the property, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, good for him. I mean, he totally. I'm I'm hoping we just forget about 2016s in a couple of years and think about this one. Um, I think we're already kind of on our way there, except for the idiots who keep talking about the air cut. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I was very curious to see how DC would let James Gunn do this because obviously Marvel is not going to give anybody creative control. It's not how they roll. So when they announced that this was going to be R, and it sounded like, yeah, we don't totally know what we're doing, and the evidence is everywhere, so you can kind of do whatever you want, and it can't be any worse than what we've been doing, and it worked out. So I was very curious to see what this would look like, and um, I was not disappointed. I was, it's kind of, I'm kind of in a funny place. I definitely, I liked it quite a bit, and at the same time, I thought I would like it a little bit more. It was a little different than I was expecting, and I'm having trouble pinpointing exactly what it was. But that being said, it's it's very fun. It's wild right from the get-go. It's got a style that you, you can't just emulate. It's very clearly a specific person's style, that person obviously being James Gunn. Like, the humor is is wacky. There's all kinds of unique stuff that you can tell is very specific to somebody's mind. It's not your run-of-the-mill movie. But that makes it fun, and that makes it interesting. That keeps you engaged. You know, like, the movie never, ever drags. Not even close. But, Nate, similar to what you said, I didn't have any babies in the theater, but right next to me was a girl who couldn't have been older than 12, and I just did not understand what anybody's thought process was. Like, <laughs> And there were a few times where you heard her kind of, like, go, ooh, and, like, cringe and tense up, and I was like, yeah, kind of same. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing here. This is not... Mm. Somebody's face gets blown off, and then they start the credits with that. And I was like, all right, well then, <laughs> okay. Yeah, they, but yeah. They make the credits out of their blood. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you enjoying this 12-year-old girl? This is fun, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a Deadpool issue all over again. Right. <laughs> yeah, that being said, it, uh, it it was fun. It was a very fun, enjoyable movie. The action is overall good. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what James Gunn's future is with DC, if anything, but good on them because he made probably one of their best properties in the last 10 years, so... I think it's by far the best DCEU movie for sure. We'll have to see like how Matt Reeves' The Batman comes out and stuff right. like that because that seems to be its own separate thing. The thing that's very important about this movie is that it understands the formula of what make, will make a Suicide Squad movie work. And it's actually a pretty simple formula that has been bungled before. Um, basically, you don't need something complex in the plot. And the, this movie's plot is pretty rote yeah. up to a point. Uh, because you've got the military coup stuff and the villains. They're all basically just... This is basically an Expendables movie or an, any 80s mm-hmm. military movie that just happens to have superheroes in it. And I, those I movies actually, yeah. never cared about their villains. 
Uh-huh. Literally down to the Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> and yeah. Gun Gun makes movies by his own rhythm, and yes. it's it works it works really well in my opinion. It, this is a very very fun movie. I, I think I agree with you, Jake. Like a little bit. Maybe my expectations were too high. I, it didn't it didn't slay me like I thought I was going to, but I still had a blast with it. I wa- I've seen yeah. it twice now. Uh, mm-hmm. The first forty five to fifty minutes of this movie are ostensibly perfect. Like they are so well paced structured in the way that events happen and how they set up the plot and they detail exposition and they get you to know these this deep roster of characters very quickly this movie's extremely well cast everybody does really well in the roles that they're picked some of the smaller stars that we're going to get into will kind of step up we'll kind of transition into our i think our favorite characters in a bit here but yeah this is a very bloody and consistently innovative with that blood movie Mm mm-hmm it basically does a lot of the things that the 2016 version tried to do. It just does it like 15 times better because James Gunn is great at what he does. Yeah, it just James Gunn comes in and makes a great movie. Like, <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. And compare it to Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, You had to introduce five or six brand new characters that moviegoers hadn't seen before. This movie does the same thing, and yeah. that's, that's why it works because he takes his time getting to know both the blueprint of the character right away and then you, over the course of the movie exploring who they are yeah and having fun with that as opposed to just like a bulletin board and some voiceover explaining oh yeah this is killer clock <laughs> or oh this is katana <laughs> she's got my God. back <laughs> i'd advise not being killed by her shut up man whatever <laughs> mm. Yeah, the, the movie yeah. the movie kind of Trojan horses you into actually liking characters that you didn't like before. Like, Rick Flagg is way better in this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like... He's a lot better. I will go on the record saying that I still don't particularly care for him, but he's a lot better here because he actually has shit to do. I was going to say, he's not, he's not really supposed to be the fun one, you know? He's just mm, supposed to be the yeah. guy that keeps everybody on track. And he's... They let Joel Kinnaman crack a smile or two here. I will say that I think I prefer both Guardians movies to this one just because this movie doesn't quite have the emotional oomph that it wants to have. I, you know what I, I mean? I think I agree. It doesn't really work on an yeah. emotional level for me, but it works in every it works every other level, you know? Yeah, halfway through this movie, the jokes start coming less and less. The movie gets a little bit more serious, and yeah. I think that is to the movie's detriment. I, I wish they had just leaned a little bit more into the zaniness of it for the second half because the first half like you said drew was just laugh after laugh shock after shock awesome moments after great action scenes it just kept coming i like some of the some of the specific humor he has too one of my one of my favorites uh i can't talk about until we get to spoilers but there's one thing he does that's in the first half that had me audible like not even laughing words like no 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 like don't even tell me (laughs) Um, and Nate, uh, to piggyback something you said earlier, Gunn walks this very impressive line of taking the time to getting to know these characters so we care about them, and yet wasting no time at all in getting the story moving. It's a very unique line that he's able to walk really well. Like, we've seen so many movies like this fail because they don't know how to introduce five characters and make a story work. And you mm-hmm. can just see, like, somebody like James Gunner. I mean, I don't know if Joss Whedon's a great example after Justice League. We don't know the whole story there. But, like, yeah, J- James Gunn is so impressive with that. We are now invested in all of these characters and 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 the plot. And that's not an easy thing to do when introducing a bunch of brand new characters. Yeah, and let's talk about those characters because there's a lot of them. Give yeah. me, I guess, give me 
two or three of your favorites, Nate? Uh, I loved Idris Elba's character, specifically because of his rival with Peacemaker, which is John fun. Cena's character. Like, their their rivalry, arguably the best scene in the movie, is involving their rivalry. We'll I, get to that. I think that's what I was um, referencing just earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, John Cena, was he's had surprisingly less to say than I would have expected from somebody who's kind of known for their comedy chops before all this. <laughs> Especially if you count the new Fast and Furious movie. <laughs> Good one. Funny to watch. Um <laughs> Idris Elba, though, was, like, an actual character and good actor in this, and he totally sold just being so over this shit. And that was a lot of fun. Um, And then Polka Dot Man. I I wish we got, like, again, one or two more good gags with him, but he has a running joke throughout the movie involving his mother that comes up in some fantastic sequences (laughs) that are better left... um, Better left seen than described, but I I just loved it because it's it's just a, a wacky concept. It's just like, yeah, I I really hate my mom, and that's how I am able to control my powers, and that's just <laughs> de facto how it works. And polka dots fly. Well, it's and awesome. and he like purges literally. <laughs> yeah, that, the the effect with his face is very interesting. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a cool it's a cool effect. This movie looks really good effects wise, both digitally and with some practical stuff that I know they're mm-hmm. using. Yeah. In my opinion. Um that actor David Dels Malshian, actually in Marvel movie too. Can anybody remember where he is? Uh I, I I'm picturing his face. Well, he was in the Dark Knight as like one of the psycho um cops, right? He's a cop, yeah. He's like the schizophrenic cop. Oh yes, that he is. Harvey Dent goes uh-huh. after. I know yep. that. I don't know the Marvel one though. He's one of the thieves that works with Ant Man. He's the Baba Yaga guy. All oh, right. Oh, right, right, that right. This is a fun one. I yeah. totally forgot about he's that. Good. Too. Yeah. He, it's him and Michael Pena and Ti, who's now canceled. But yeah, they're right. they're they're a good team in that movie. And yeah, he he, I agree. He steals the show here. It's cool that they give actors like that a platform to succeed. Jake, are there any ones that you can think of that you want to highlight? I mean, yeah. What what's Killer Shark's like technical name? Nawe, Nawe, I think it's it, it's Nanaway. it's something yeah. like that, Nanaway or something like that. Consistently cracking me up. Like I, I, another props to James Gunn making these CGI non-human characters so lovable. Like and having three hundred fifty pound muscled people play them. Right. <laughs> yeah. With, with <laughs> who can absolutely destroy a small army of people whenever they feel like. <laughs> like just just awesome. Um, I like Idris Elba too. Uh, like Nate said, John Cena and Idris Elba's rivalry. And I forget the girl who's like Rat Catcher 2, right? Is that her name? Rat Catcher 2, yes. Rat Catcher that 2. That is um, Daniela I Melchior. I thought she was a lot of fun and and like in her own unique way, like a really interesting character who I ended up caring about more than I thought I would. Yeah, she's like one of the more serious characters, yeah. but her arc works a yeah, lot yeah. better than some of the other ones. Yeah. She does, a, she does a really good job. This is what kind of you can do with the Suicide Squad is you give a spotlight to characters that really, you know, may, will, would never get their own movie. You know what I mean? So yeah. it, work, it works out in her case and with Polka Dot Man. Yeah, uh, King Shark was my favorite character. Um, Crushed it. Just just slayed me. <laughs> just, just for diversity's sake, let me talk about two characters that are making their return. This is Margot's third time playing Harley, and I think she gets better every time. I think this she has a really good little side quest in this. Is and it she only has, three? Yep. Suicide Squad, Birds of Prey, and this. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. 
Sounds like more. Um, she gets better every time. I think she has a really good side quest in this, and she has one of the best action scenes in the movie, which is very visually creative and just well choreographed and has really good yeah. musical cues with it. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with her in this, um, and we'll talk uh-huh. about it specifically what that side quest is when we get into spoilers, but I think it actually all pays off really well. Uh, and I think... Um, Viola Davis was one of the only things I liked about the 2016 movie, and he, she is still really good at a, as Amanda Waller, and she gets to sell a little bit more just how ruthless that character is. Like, yeah, ostensibly mm-hmm. she's the leader of this team that's trying to save the world, but is she really, though? And, and I like—I kind of like that they give the people that work for her a little bit of personality as well. Um, yeah. They're kind of the audience where they're kind of like, you're, you're kind of crazy too, so maybe you're all fit for each other, you know? I I did think she was a little over the top in a couple scenes. Welcome to Viola Davis. Like she loves to scream. It's <laughs> just kind of her like, thing. I mean, I think she's great a lot, but there were like one or two scenes here where I was like, "All right, you're you're an 11. You can dial it back to a nine, and that would still be fine." Uh, that's like, what I'm saying. She she doesn't have anything lower than an eleven, in my opinion. She just yeah. goes for it. Yeah. That's just how she is. Yeah, just a little little too much in certain scenes. I was like, "All right, all right, you're a great Academy Award winning actress, but like, hold on now." <laughs> You guys want to move into spoilers? I was just, yeah, most of our talk has been like, I'll wait until spoilers to say it, so. If you are just joining us for the first time, we rate movies on the seat scale. If we think a movie is perfect, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is great, we give it a plush recliner. If we think a movie is solid but has some big problems, wooden seat. We think a movie's not very good but has some good things to recommend. We have a damp lawn chair. And then a movie that's terrible is a sleazy outhouse, which are becoming increasingly rare because we don't like to talk about bad movies because we are a positive pod. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, and if we think you should see it in theaters, which is a possibility for the Suicide Squad, or you can watch it at home on HBO Max, I would suggest seeing it in theaters personally. So I guess that gives away that I'm giving it a bag of popcorn. But <laughs> let's 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 see what Jake thinks. Um, yeah, this is a this is kind of like your your standard plush recliner. I think really good, really fun, not perfect. Has its I don't know what they want to say. Choppy doesn't feel right, but there's something about the way the story's handled as a whole that just didn't, not all of it sat with me, and I, I'm still struggling to find the vocabulary words for it. Overall, really good, really fun. I know it's on HBO Max right now, which is convenient for everybody listening, but I would see this in theaters. It is fun enough. It is dazzling enough. It's got enough visual cues, and a theater will have fun with this, with the comedy, and the action's good. Like, there's just, there's enough that it's worth seeing in theaters because you will have a really good time with it. Uh, same thing with performances. James Gunn gets good at, uh, gets good performances out of his actors. He's got a great visual style. He's got a great comedic style. Like it's just it's worth seeing in theaters, even though you have it on HBO Max right now. So plus recliner, bag of popcorn, uh, and I'm excited to talk about all the other nonsense that's in this movie that we haven't discussed yet. Nate, they might not have a lot mm-hmm. of time to see it in theaters. It's not doing very well at the box office. Uh, no. But should they? Uh, I'll go with a yes, and I'll also go with a plus recliner on this one to cut straight to the chase here. Uh, this is my first plush recliner for a DCEU movie. So congrats, <laughs> James Gunn, on pulling that off. Um, if this movie had kept the momentum it had from its first half into the second half, I think this could have been Royal Throne territory for me. I really like the first half of this movie. And it just gets a little too serious, focuses a little bit too much on the gore and less on the laughs, and that's really what I wanted from this movie. Um, I wanted to laugh a little bit more in the second half. Uh, that said, all the new characters they introduced were fun. The ones that are still alive at the end, I'll gladly see them again. And we'll go from there. I I enjoyed this one. This one had a lot of flair, a lot of style, and just felt like 
not only the director was having fun, but all the actors and everybody else working on this seemed to be having a good time too. And that translated to me having a good time with this. So a thumbs up from me. The Suicide Squad is worth your time in the theater. Yeah. I agree with everything that's been said. Plus recliner, obviously bag of popcorn, see it in theaters. Part of this movie was specifically shot for IMAX, so if you can see it in IMAX, give that a shot. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be long. It's, it's just a fun time. Like, there, there's a lot of good stuff here, and I don't really want to talk about more until we get to spoilers, so let's do that. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! Let's talk about the beginning of the movie where we lose Pete Davidson's Blackguard. We lose Nathan Fillion's, what is his acronym? It's the stupidest power in history. Oh. The, TDK, uh, TDK. Yep. The, the, the detachable kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's such a good visual uh, gag. It's so, yeah. and Harley's reaction <laughs> yeah. when it happens to, she's like, what the <laughs> is that? What? Yeah, what? <laughs> um, I was also surprised they got, um, oh my God, what's his name, Yondu. Michael Rucker, borderline the protagonist for the first like ten minutes. Yeah, I was surprised mm-hmm. that that's how they handled his character. Like he's got a great intro. They open the movie with him, and then he just mm-hmm. is like, "No, never mind." And then they detonate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was a little surprised that that's where they went with him, but I'm surprised with almost all of the deaths there. <laughs> yeah, we we knew that a lot of these characters were going to die. I don't know if anybody predicted it in the first five, ten minutes. Yeah. And especially as gruesomely as they were. Yes. <laughs> Holy cow. So it was Pete Davidson's face, right? They blow his face off. Yeah. Yeah, he's the first to go. He sells yeah. them out, which if we're going to do a plot nitpick, how did he contact them? But whatever. Yeah, I, I immediately thought that, and I immediately went, don't think about it. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been thinking since I've seen the trailer, what the hell is the weasel going to do to help? And uh, I'm glad that they didn't even pretend like he was going to. <laughs> that that immediately made me laugh and but it also that also really sets the tone. They like they drop him and they're like, "Did anybody check if he can swim?" and he's just drowning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, this movie's going to be something." It, it's pretty clear yeah. it's pretty clear they're bad at their jobs because there's that and then putting Bloodsport with Ratcatcher 2 was such a bad idea as well. Like mm-hmm. What are they doing? Well, they also said like nobody knew that because Bloodsport wouldn't disclose that to anybody. Like, why would I give away my weakness? So yeah, fair. I guess yeah, I yeah. understood that, but yeah, also mm-hmm. not not a great look for people who this is their job. Right. Out of all the characters that we lost in the first ten minutes, though, I I was disappointed we didn't get one or two more lines from Nathan Fillion's character. I love him in general. I wanted to see him a little bit more, but <laughs> his arms just slapping the the guards across the beach was so hilarious utterly ridiculous <laughs> everything else after that yeah. was just like oh my god that's a lot of blood but <laughs> yeah and the and and the spear guy too whatever his mo yeah, is so, uh, javelin javelin flula borg plays him uh he's you've seen him in a lot of comedy movies um and harley's just like what <laughs> right well that that kicks off that arc i was talking about with her where she has this she's trying to figure out what she needs the javelin for the whole movie and then she finally right, yeah. figures it out at the end when they eventually reach Starro, which we'll get to Starro in a bit. Right. But Jake loves the word, the phrase plant and payoff comes up at least once every three podcasts. It, it's a big like. movie trope. It is and a big it's movie everywhere. trope. And, and, it, and it's worked to great effect here. So we'll talk more about Harley later. I'll, I'll let you guys transition to the point you guys wanted to make about. We find out who our real team is, uh, and it's dominated by Idris and John Cena. And I think it's really funny that they very clearly – didn't know how to differentiate what their skill set was. 
Uh, so they just play into it. Viola Davis gives that exposition in the prison about Idris Elba's character. And it's like, wow, he sounds like a tough guy. And then she says the exact same thing about John Cena's character. Mm-hmm. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, it pays off in dot, dot, dot. Yeah, Jake, you can take this one. <laughs> sure. Um, so it starts off as a, it's a very cool action scene. Both these guys are basically like like top of the line hitmen, tough guy will beat up almost anybody in their path and will also like they're just they're just animals. But they're they're both trying to assert their dominance. So they're basically just ruthlessly taking out this entire camp of guards and militia after being told, like, trust nobody. So they're basically just one upping each other on how cool they can kill somebody. And then they get to like the head of the tent and Rick flag is there. And she's like, where are my guards? Why wasn't I notified? And we find out they just killed all the good guys. <laughs> oh my God. That I seen is gold. I out loud <laughs> went, Oh no. <laughs> In increasingly gruesome ways too. Oh yeah. yeah exactly. Brutally a, murdering these a people. A lesser like... movie would have like just gone right up to the tent, had that gag of like, where are all my guards? And just probably like, pan the camera out to see like the path of disruption behind him and that would have been the joke right but james gunn set up like a 10 minute action scene between these two guys um there's the one guy just lying in his bed with like an injured leg or something and john cena just stabs him like 10 times walking by (laughs) just boom 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 boom. yeah just the bathtub guy (laughs) i like just dies the tower that collapses yeah (laughs) the bathtub guy was my favorite where he shoots the fan to fall in the bed. Like, yeah. what, a, what an elaborate. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> like, they're just, like, and the whole scene is really cool, and we're finding out how badass these guys really are. Like, all right, these guys are for real. We're not going to mess with them. But then we find out they're killing all of the good guys and, like, all the good, like... Yeah, the free, freedom, they're freedom fighters. The, the freedom they're. fighters, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Idris Elba's face, too, was like, oh, shit. <laughs> we just killed our backup, basically. Like, right. One of my that was one of the best scenes in the movie. Mm-hmm. It it establishes that by any means they're gonna they'll they'll mow through people if they have to and they have no qualms about it for the sake of the mission. There's motivation for everybody to be there. Most of the motivation is he's not gonna kill me. Bloodsport's motivation is his daughter. But then what I found really interesting, and it really teases very well what they're gonna do in the future with John Cena's character, is his motivation is just the mission which is fascinating to me. Yeah. Very very goal-oriented, very single-minded in that way. And for that reason, he will do whatever the orders are, even if it means the heel turn at the end where he basically is working for Waller and directly opposes Rick Flagg, who who apparently he has some kind of respect for and admiration for. I thought that was a good way to build character in a more serious part of the movie, Nate, um, while also, Mm -hmm. like, establishing what's going to happen further. Sure. Yeah, no, the, the, that that rivalry also works, and this is skipping ahead a little bit, but the the fight scene within the reflection of Peacemaker's toilet bowl helmet was really cool. Yeah, that was neat. Um, I could have watched that for, like, another 30 seconds, another two minutes, you know? That was just <laughs> a really great moment of the shot. That was one of the things I really liked about the movie, is that it wasn't afraid to have a little flair to it. All of the segments the chapters if you will if we're going to go by tarantino standards are like built into the scene in really cool ways like the smoke the rubble the blood is all spelling out the next phase of the movie and i just thought that was really cool and creative and Mm -hmm. felt like a comic book yeah completely agree 
let's talk about like the crux of the villainy of what's going on here. Uh, we've only hinted at Starro, uh, which is this intergalactic starfish. Kaiju-looking thing. Yeah, somebody literally calls it a kaiju. <laughs> yes. One of Amanda Waller's lackeys. Um, it, it spits out little zombie versions of itself out of its armpit, and it's been <laughs> under captivity for a long time, being watched by Peter Capaldi's The Thinker. Who gets nothing to do, really. He's got He's got an okay monologue or two, but no, nothing comedically, for sure. I thought they would do more with him, personally. You only but... have so much time. It's it's yeah. fine. I was, I, was, mm-hmm. I was okay with it. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting visual to see on the $175 million movie. This giant starfish just tearing up this fake town and like mm-hmm. killing half this the population. Very brightly colored starfish too. Like I could have seen a lesser movie making this just like a, like a gray, gray blob yeah. and then you only see it at night kind of thing. This is a bright pink and blue starfish in the middle of the day. Right? Being ridiculous. Like, I, I want to go to Legendary Pictures and be like, take notes. Why is this so hard? <laughs> I don't, like, it's right here. It looks great, I think. Like, mm-hmm. why well, is it they, so hard? They're off the hook a little bit. I thought Godzilla vs. Kong looked pretty good. But yes. Yeah, yeah but I mean, like, like what was up with the... No, we're not We're not, We're not. not talking about yeah. bad movies. We're not talking about bad movies. Yeah, we're not going Kai- back to... <laughs> Starro, <laughs> Starro looked great. Starro yeah. looked great. <laughs> yeah. Now, like, Starro... I, I liked that... They did something different with it. I just don't know if it landed for me. Like, they make Starro almost like a very sympathetic character. Um, even with, like, his last words. It was just like, I was I was happy um, just looking at the stars before you guys dragged me I down. I actually really like planet, that. You know? Yeah, I... You know, like, that. that's cool. That's really cool. Um, but, like, everything leading up to that and just the concept of this giant starfish is so ridiculous. I would have liked a couple laughs before we got to that point, you know? I, I think it just reinforces the fact that Waller, as per usual, is the actual villain of this movie. <laughs> like, Right. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you hadn't caught on to that, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, big, my big thing with the Starro thing, and this might be a plot hole slash maybe they explained it at some point, he just stops shooting the things out of his armpits at a certain point. Like, why? Like, none of the Suicide Squad have masks at a certain mm-hmm. point. They cover their face for a little bit. Obviously, you can't latch on to King Shark because King Shark's face is too big. But, like, why does it stop trying to enslave them? You know, it just keep it just stops shooting mm-hmm. them out. And eventually, it leaves himself vulnerable for Harley to go in and ugh, those disgusting rats to climb into its eye and take it out. <laughs> that was a gross, gross way to kill yeah, someone. Absolutely. But James, disgusting. James Gunn is not afraid of violence. <laughs> That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think about that. I guess I kind of figured, like, he already took over most of the village, and the ones who were left were just the Suicide Squad who were attacking him, and they had yeah. fought off the mini starfish already a little bit. But yeah, I guess it it would make sense to shoot more. Yeah, like if he has them, right? I guess. Yeah, that's something that <laughs> needed to be established. Yeah, like a little bit better in my opinion. Right. Um, I had I had fun with that fight scene too, though. He's what do they call it? Jotunheim, right? Yeah. 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 Perfect. I thought that was a un- one. I thought that was a unique name for a DC movie, but. Um, obviously, because for those who are trying to put two and two together, Jotunheim is based in uh, Thor. But anyway, in this movie, it's a giant experimental tower in this fake village cement tower. And I thought that entire fight team was really cool. They all have different missions. And uh, that's where you find out John Cena is not actually with them. Idris Elba has this ridiculous superhero landing that I thought was awesome. It was yeah, very that was, that clearly was really cool. ridiculous on purpose. Yeah. So I, I was fun. Yeah. He had a good fight scene with Rick Flagg, which also got very bloody again. 
King Shark had a fun scene in there. Like, I thought that whole invasion of Jotunheim was fun. King Shark makes some dumb, dumb friends. I was happy for him. Yeah, yeah, that was that, those <laughs> were weird. Start attacking him. <laughs> I don't know. If I don't know needed. why. Why were they? Why were they there? <laughs> like, I guess, More experiments, yeah. I guess. I don't know. But you're you're forgetting about the the coolest character of all, the bus driver. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Milton. Milton. <laughs> yeah, Ma- Milton. Milton. And they're just like, I don't, I really don't think he was with us the whole time. Yes, he was. There are so <laughs> many. There are layers to it, which I thought was funny. <laughs> like Polka Dot Man is very sad about it. It, Bloodsport can't believe that he came along. Like, what was he gonna do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and Harley just doesn't. Harley's, Harley's just, just never even heard of it. Yeah, she's yeah. like, I really feel like I would have remembered this. And it's fun, it's funny at the end too because she thinks Bloodsport's name is Milton. <laughs> she calls him Milton yeah. when they're leaving. Oh my god. Yeah, like those oh, are the little fair. like his his comedy is unique. Like he bases his comedy around really tragic stuff, and it works. A lot of the time, it really works. Oh, it's yeah, it's like it's dark humor. A lot of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Very. Yeah. <laughs> Dark and gross. Yes. Yeah. Um, what were your What were your guys' issues? We're all very positive, and rightfully so, but... Uh, I've been peppering all mine in. I don't have anything to really add. Like, little plot things here and there. I didn't think the emotional stuff with Rick Flag... Uh, not Rick Flag. Um, Idris Elba's kid really worked. She has one scene. It's the same arc. It's also the the same as Will it's, Smith. It's the exact same as Will Smith's, basically, mm, yeah, except yeah. for the, the fact that the kid yeah. is a little I, older. Honestly, by design, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't try very like, hard to Will Smith that. just didn't want to come back to, for this movie, so they made a basically identical character and just kind of played it off. The, the rumor is that Idris Elba was going to replace Will Smith, and then they changed it to a different character. But Idris Elba's denied that, but that's probably for, to save face. So it opens the door if Will Smith mm-hmm. wants to come back. Which I, I wouldn't be opposed to, I guess. I, I, there's no. You real, could have a three-way rivalry I, between Peacemaker, Idris Elba's character, and Will Smith's character. Yeah, they, I guess, but. they certainly wouldn't get along, huh? Peacemaker, of course, mm-hmm. getting his own HBO Max spinoff show. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Jake, are you fascinating? Did you watch the end? I know you missed the end credits when you actually saw the yeah, movie. Yeah, the and guy you circle back around. The guy sitting next to me, like I made like one, one minor comment about the Batman trailer, and then he felt like it was okay to talk to me throughout the whole movie. So he he was really getting on my nerves, <laughs> and like it wasn't like fun banter. It was like, like I like so at the end he was like, "No shit, Weasel's still alive," and I was like, "Yeah, man, we're watching the same movie. Like, shut up!" Like, like yelling. I'm like, "Who are you yelling at?" I'm. You I, I don't even know you. Friends at the theater. I was gonna Jake. say this sound between this and the stock guy last time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I don't know what's up. Like, should I grow up my beard and start scaring people again? Like, I don't know. <laughs> How does this keep yeah, happening? Yeah, these random to you? people. I don't know. Yeah, last. When I went to see Old, this guy randomly turned to me and started talking to me about, like, AMC stocks and, like, the Reddit stuff that's going on. And I was, I literally was just like, yeah, I don't know much about this. And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then this guy, I made one comment. Shut up. I don't speaking, even know your name. Like, speaking of jerks getting their due, how satisfying it was it to see Amanda Waller just get her yeah. uh, head smacked by her staff? Yes. Yeah, that was fun. That was, that was another shocking moment that I'm like, oh! Yeah. Oh shit! This is this is great. And see, those are some of the fun details that it's good to switch up in these kind of movies. Right. Like. To circle back to the original point before Jake started ranting about his audience, the post-credit <laughs> scene shows that Peacemaker is still alive, and they seem to be setting up a series where he's kind of be like the contract hit person. I hope they don't soften his character. That's my big thing. I I don't like want I don't want him to change. You know what I mean? I kind of hope he's the static asshole that he is in this. Um, yeah, I, I hope he's like his values are the same, but I also hope he's funnier because he really stopped being funny halfway through this 
this movie. Right. That was one of my big complaints. I, I, I think I thought it worked fine, but I, I hear what you're saying like, for sure. His last joke was like the 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 jungle full of dicks, I feel like, um, when he's marching through toward that awesome fight scene. And then everything else, he's just like very gung-ho, this is the mission, and it's not even like cold face humor. It's just exposition oh, the, from there's gotta be the There's got to the be other ones after that. That's so Can you think early. of any, though? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I maybe not. I don't know. Whatever. Well, okay. Well, that's fine because he makes, again, he takes the heel turn. I don't have a problem with that specifically, but agree to disagree on that one. Um, we need to wrap up here soon. So, mm. Jake, why don't you launch into final thoughts here? Yeah, fairly straightforward plot, but it works. It it makes sense, which is refreshing compared to five years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you can, like, follow it and like figure out what's going on the whole time. So that's nice. And then yeah, from there it's just it's just fun. It's not doing anything quite amazing, but James Gunn's wacky creative control spin is all over the place and it just makes it a really fun time. I wouldn't even crack my top 5 Marvel or anything like that. I like both I don't even know if you crack top 10 Marvel. It's kind of on that cusp, but this is really fun. If you're looking for something honestly a little bit Marvel-esque but way more violent and rough this is your movie, man. Like, this is just a really, really bloody but fun time with some wacky-ass characters. We didn't even mention Harley Quinn's ridiculous love story in the middle there. That's such a long <laughs> con of a joke. Like, yeah, it, it, I was like, where the f- are they going with I had this? a good time with it. The payoff is super good on it. Yeah, yeah. I had a really good time with it, uh, with that scene specifically with Harley Quinn. Like... It's just it's just start to finish really fun. I don't think it's quite doing anything amazing, but it's consistently just a really good time. I mean, it's a, probably too bloody for some people. It might be a little too wacky and out there for some people. But generally speaking, I think a lot of people would have at least some fun with this. Nate, final thoughts? Yeah, I will sign on to that. this and everything we've been harping on. This movie was a, a very good time, very creative movie, which I appreciated. Uh, and it just did what you're supposed to do with these types of weird team-up ensemble movies. Introduce your characters, give the audience a reason to care, and go nuts. This avoided the problem that I always complain about with DC movies, where you have characters with cool powers, let's see them use them in creative ways. And even though there's a lot of characters that just amount to shoot gun at thing, or kick something and punch something really hard, they're able to use that in creative ways, like that camp shootout scene, um, or Harley Quinn with flowers and crazy music flying yeah. through the air as she's as she's going out and destroying this whole base while a mission to rescue her is going outside completely unknowingly. Fun stuff like that can make even your I'm gonna beat you up heroes and bad guys really fun and compelling and that's why i really appreciated this movie i wish it just kept that energy up for the second half and that's what's probably keeping it back from a royal throne on my end but the very fact that i'm mentioning that about a dc movie is such a breath of fresh air yeah i'm very happy that this project existed and i hope other dc directors take note of just like you can do this and make a good film. <laughs> you can yeah. do it, guys. <laughs> they need to continue on this path. This is working. They've found something that works now, which is... Of course, it's from Marvel's guy. 
<laughs> right, right, but also I, I think this worked for... It, it ain't Marvel's guy, it just Marvel got to him first. Also, yeah, and Mar- also Marvel left him to be available, so it's uh, their fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just a little yeah. ironic that, like, DC's pot, one of their best movies is from a guy who started with Marvel and got his fame from Marvel. Like. Yeah, but I, I would argue that they this trend started with Birds of Prey to an extent as well, too. I, I, I kind of, I like these little bizarre auteurist mm-hmm. movies that they're That's doing. That's true. I like Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey is fun. Yeah, I like Birds of Prey more and more every time I watch it. it it's it's a really good time. And it's a, it's the same concept as this. This is that times five, though. This is a mm. really good crowd pleaser if you're, if you're a superhero fan, especially. Like, yeah. um, if you like these movies and you're looking for something different, this is a very nice change of pace. And it goes by this the rhythm of what James Gunn wants to accomplish. And, you know, he's taking his career as kind of like an indie horror director um with an edge and finally getting to apply it to his now big budget chops it's a mix of his two careers put together and i think it works really well is it perfect no is it gonna be a movie that i rewatch a lot probably in the next few years yeah probably i think it's gonna be one of those ones that's on the rotation like a deadpool like a guardians of the galaxy it's earned that right it is the best i think it fits right into those yep That'll do it for our review of The Suicide Squad. Everybody kept saying The Suicide Squad, too, I think. Or that or you guys avoided it. Um, either way, congratulations. We didn't mix up the titles. Uh, <laughs> before we go, Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. I don't know about you guys, but I'm very satisfied with the amount of big-budget movies that we got to this summer. We have some great reviews out right now of F9, Black Widows, Old. I think that's the end of the list, actually. Maybe not as many as I thought we did, but anyway. <laughs> still pretty good. It's been a busy summer. Yeah, it's been a busy summer. It always is. Um And thank you guys for listening. As always, we'll have more reviews as we transition to the fall. Shang-Chi is coming up soon. We'll have that to talk about. We have other movies down the pipe when we get into October. We'll have hopefully Dune. We'll have Halloween. We'll have a lot of things to talk about as we transition towards the end of this slightly better year, but still annoying year. That'll do it for Jay Kensler and Nate Lungarini. I'm Andrew Jay. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. 